You're listening to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. My guest today is the Emmy-winning, Oscar-nominated star of films and series like Trumbo, Breaking Bad, Argo, and HBO's All the Way. His new film, Last Flag Flying, is a topical drama from director Richard Linklater and author Daryl Ponixon that examines the war-weary soul of a country that seems hell-bent on making the same mistakes over and over again. It is opening the New York Film Festival this year. His name is Brian Cranston, and he's right here. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. How are you, Chris? I'm good. Good. Uh, often I will ramp up into the movie at hand, but I really want to dive in on this one because I love this film. Uh, it is from an author that I really love as well. I don't know. Did, have you read many of Daryl Ponixon's books? Well, before, just a, kind of. No. When I knew I was going to do this, I wanted to go back and read Last Detail. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Last Flag Flying was also, you know, in the same milieu. In fact, it's a it's a sequel. It's right. written as a sequel to Last Detail. And uh, those are the only took, uh, books I've read so far. He did another one called Tom Mix Died for Our Sins mm. that I wholeheartedly recommend. It's like this uh, adventure, tall tale kind of imagining biography of Tom Mix, no the uh, classic cowboy yeah. of old. And uh, he just has such a way with words, you know, and that's that's why I gravitated toward his work to begin with. And then I tracked down Last Flag Flying. I read it before I saw the film. It's a hard book to find, actually. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it had maybe one printing, and now they're like, they go for 80 bucks a pop or something Ooh, if you can find them. Yeah. You should wait a bit, because... <laughs> they're coming out with... They're one. coming out uh, with a new version <laughs> exactly. of Last Flag Flying. Yeah. I wanted to read it before I saw the movie, though, because I was curious about what you guys were going to do. And uh, as I say, he's got such a great way with words, and it's a dialogue-heavy story. And I know I recognized that when I was reading the book, and as well when I read uh, the last detail, it has the same vibe. You can understand why you know how Ashby was interested in making that into a movie years ago. Right. And I didn't realize until I saw the film that this was perfect for Richard Linklater. It didn't strike me while reading the book, but when I saw the film, I was like, "Oh, this is such a hangout movie." You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like Days and Confused or Boyhood or the before movies where you can just kind of hang out with these characters and have conversations about life and stuff. <laughs> so I'm curious what you thought about that quality of the film. No, that's really what attracted me to the screenplay. The idea of working with, with Rick was high on my list. But if if the screenplay didn't measure up, then, you know, I would say, well, maybe, maybe the next one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one really struck a chord. And knowing that... Um, it, it was intended to be a sequel, but um, Jack retired, and you know Randy's off in Canada somewhere, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the other actor. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on his name, but he he passed away, mm-hmm. so there wasn't going to be a sequel of the last detail. Um, so Rick wanted to take the same milieu, the same sensibility of three men with a history in the military, and who reconvene for another task and in this case it's um to help the youngest member of of the trio uh doc played by steve carell to um to bury his son and um my character sal is one of those knee 
bouncing kind of all consuming <laughs> kind of guy never shuts up uh it can be charming but he can also be incredibly irritating yeah um he's one of those guys who would have been diagnosed as bipolar and adhd and and anything else but he's constantly eating or smoking or drinking he's he he just wants everything he consumes he, life, he consumes <laughs> life in yeah. every form he says no to nothing yeah. and uh um, so it was a lot of fun to play. And Rick, you know, was a master at being able to separate the characteristics of each character and and tell you what your lane is. Yeah. And by staying in those lanes, uh, Fish and, and Steve and I were able to have a blast. We would do what was written and then we improv a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, really bonded during this movie. Yeah, as you say, the uh, the script was written. They they went away from doing just a full blown sequel, although they they maintained many of the same story beats. Uh, <clears throat> but nevertheless, you know, and also it's interesting because Last Flag Flying, the book was actually more of a sequel to the movie than the book because yeah. Podusky dies in the book, right? But not in the movie, and, and he's alive and well, and he explains that page one right. in Last Flag Flying, but. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, given that it's not a sequel per se, you still are playing Budusky of a fashion, I guess, is, is is a way to put it. So did you look at Nicholson at all, or did you just stay away from that? And how did you and Rick talk about making this character his own guy? You know, Nicholson is such an indelible personality that I, I certainly didn't want to go back and revisit the movie and see what mm-hmm. he did because it, it would in seep into the performance. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to do a, a poor imitation of the great Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do a poor imitation of something else. <laughs> um, no, I just wanted to f- kind of find out who that guy was. And, you know, for me, the character of Sal... Um, uh, is consume is all consuming, but for a reason. Mm-hmm. He's um, he's trying to drown out the the demons that seem to try to rise up within him, and he found that if he drinks enough and self medicates enough, then I think it it staves off those those that viciousness, and uh, and he can cope with mm-hmm. the day. Um, he he's not a very um, you know, self-reflecting kind of person. He is one that's ready for a party, ready for action, ready for a fight, ready mm-hmm. for something, anything. Um, because I think that's his connection to to feeling, mm-hmm. and that's his humanity. It's it's in instant kind of gratification. He's almost a throwback to a, a childlike um, personality that he wants that that energy that excitement right now mm-hmm. because i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but right now i love, i want to feel it mm-hmm. and it contrasts really nicely with the brilliant job that steve carell did with doc who he had such courage to just sit in it yeah. and and be that person and not feel he has to emote not feel he has to drive the the energy or the story it, just to let it evolve and then contrast that with Lawrence Fishburne and his brilliant work and the way he was standing in judgment of Sal and 
trying to forget the past and his culpability to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, too, I think, was hiding behind what he has now become as a, as a member of the church. Mm-hmm. And I think he was not wanting to remember the the bad things that happened back in Vietnam when we were babies. Yeah. And you're exactly right about just the contrasting uh, styles and the, the different lanes to be in. And, and you three actors as well. I mean, you, Steve, and Lawrence seem like very different personalities. So I'm curious what the what was the camaraderie like? You said you got along great, but just what was downtime like on the set? You know, between takes, what was what was that vibe like for the three of you? It was a lot of fun. You know, I was having so so much fun being Sal, uh, being just a jerk in many ways, <laughs> and getting away with innuendo and things <laughs> like that. That um, it was fun to do that. Um, Yul Vasquez is another great actor I've worked with before on the infiltrator. Mm -hmm. And he played the Colonel in this, um, in this film that we have to appeal to, um, off screen. Yule is a very funny guy and he was keeping us laughing as well. And so it, it was, it was a fun set. It was a light set. We're all, we've all been doing this for quite some time. And Rick is so easygoing. Mm-hmm. And his manner of direction is minuscule. You know, he he wanted to. We talked about it early on. We had um, a, about a week or ten days of rehearsal, where we just read through it and and whatever um, it, it conjured as far as uh, suggestions or changes or bumps along the way. We were able to voice that and. What he agreed with, he corrected, and what he didn't, he gave justification to mm-hmm. it. So we then realized, ah, good, good, right, okay, I see that's you know. So we had a really good understanding before any of the cameras were rolling. We shot this in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and um, it was a blast. It was really a lot of fun. One of the things that, you know, we, we, we got together a few times. We went to a Pittsburgh Steelers game. Uh, we also... Um, went and we gathered a whole group of us uh gathered to watch uh the results on election night that must have been fun in november of uh of last year 16 Mm -hmm. and uh yes yes it was uh quite a shocking quite a shocking uh, no it was a i know steve and i were were chatting a lot in the car ride over and in the car ride home, neither one of us Not said a word. Not much chatting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I imagine. Well, regarding Steve, actually, his range is so interesting, specifically this year, because he's also in this film, Battle of the Sexes, right. playing you know, a much broader character in Bobby Riggs. And you're right, his kind of quietude in this film. And just uh, it's interesting to see the choices he continues to make as he branches out as a film star now and uh he's he's there yeah he's i was so impressed with with him and in in just dropping into that guy mm-hmm. and being and it really works so well because the the three different energies that these three men bring to this story and orchestrated by rick linkladder you know he he just is a, a great great orchestra leader and um brought it all together and it's 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 a really important film yeah it's a male bonding film but it's very emotional women are going to like this movie Mm -hmm. because they're seeing men vulnerable and raw at times 
uh, honest as all the way through. Yeah. Well, on that note, I mean, I was reminded of the film again recently when uh, our commander in chief announced his, uh, for lack of a better word, strategy uh, for the ongoing Afghanistan conflict. And the characters in this film, they talk rather directly and frankly about America's repeated mistakes in war. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a cynical view taken of the pageantry and the dishonesty that kind of keeps the military this shining thing beyond reproach. And I feel like those elements of the movie are very intriguing today and uh, promises the film will resonate in some way today. I'm just curious your thoughts on how a film like this will resonate in this climate. Well, I think uh, the backdrop of the film is that and what these men had in common was that they were all in Vietnam together. Um, Mueller, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character and my character, Sal, were in the Marines and really tight buddies. Excuse me. And Doc was a Navy medic who was assigned to this Marine Corps battalion. And um, we kind of took advantage of him as the story and got a hold of his medical case. And Mm -hmm. in there we found all kinds of goodies. Mm -hmm. And you start to realize, well, they did this to self-medicate to be able to put a lot of the troubles that they were facing the the irresponsibility of <clears throat> excuse me of of their commanding officers um there's there's a disenchantment that is naturally uh present with many um military personnel and yet I just finished uh, a USO tour where I was on uh, Army bases and Air Force bases um, in Germany and and Great Britain. And I got to tell you, I I was really impressed with these men and women in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, They're bright and personal and personable and um, respectful. And I, I came away thinking better of them and and not to be so derisive of the younger generation and you know there's been a lot said about that younger generation you know they just show up and they want a trophy that kind of thing right and no the good ones will rise to to the top just like any other generation and um I, i it gave me a lot of faith it you know your your role in the military when you sign up is to follow orders and you can't not do that there has to be control and order and you just hope that the people at the top the people who are making the decisions um, that may put you in harm's way are doing so thoughtfully respectfully and re and sometimes painfully making those decisions and it, there's a lot of trust to that yeah yeah uh, and also, I just I revisited an interview you and I did a couple of years ago around Trumbo when, uh, you know, Trump had just recently at that point announced his uh, intention to run and oh, everything. Really? So it was all very different climate mm, yeah. at the time. But uh, your quote to me was that he was a, quote, wake up call for America. Uh, I just wonder. This sounds like such a cheesy question, but are we still asleep um, you know, in my in my estimation, 
uh, yes, I, I think I think there has to be um, a, less of a focus on the individual and more of a focus on what is best for our country and and by extension of that by the world we're so interconnected financially globally the climate change um i I just can't believe people are are denying this reality um but um the other thing that i learned when i was doing all the way when playing lyndon johnson was that during his time, there was a lot more civility in politics that it was very common, actually, for men and women uh, in in Congress on the opposite side of their ideological fence to be able to share drinks together and, and meals and meet their families and have picnics and all these things it was a group effort, Republicans and Democrats alike. And by doing so, by breaking bread with the opposing team, let's say, um, when it comes time to work out a deal, you are less likely to throw that person under the bus because, you know, I like him. I... I don't think he's out to destroy the country. I don't think he's a, a an insane person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I just have a different approach of how we see the the avenue to to improve the country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if he's a good guy and I believe that he loves the country and I believe he believes that I love the country, well then let's sit down and figure this out mm-hmm. without the name calling, without the vitriol, without the aggression that we find now it is so bad now and the 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 stakes are high but it is so the the climate is so bad that chris if you and i were on in opposite parties and you had a fantastic idea that would really help the country i can't support it Mm mm-hmm I it's I, I can't cross Whether over. You agreed with it or not? I can't, it does. Yeah, and that has to change. Mm-hmm. It really has to change. It's not about individuals winning. It's about what's best for the country. Mm-hmm. And if we can get back to that and in, infuse it with with more civility, I think we'll be better off. Well put. Well, I want to squeeze some other things in here. Let's squeeze. Let's squeeze. We have a couple other movies you're in this year. You're in this uh, remake of The Untouchables yeah. called The Upside Yeah. Uh, with Kevin Hart that played yeah. the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, Kevin, uh, if they could bottle that guy's energy, I would buy it in a store. Everybody like. <laughs> would. In fact, he's thinking of how to bottle his energy right now. He is entrepreneurial by nature. He is a clean liver. He is a hard worker. Um, he is really, really good in this movie, The mm-hmm. Upside. And I knew he would. I didn't know before I met him, I'll be honest, mm-hmm. because of, you know, the stand-up was funny, but it was kind of open and brash, and here it is. And this story, he needs to really drop down and expand his foundation and mm-hmm. and really be real and honest and not performing and we met a few years ago and i said you know this is not a comedy and he goes no i know (laughs) and i realized within probably five to ten minutes he was 
not only in control, but he knew what to do, why he was wanting to do it, and he knew how to do it. And I just got a sense of absolute confidence from him that he was going to do a really good job. And it's true in many cases that comedians can make really good dramatic actors. The opposite is not necessarily the truth. Dramatic actors cannot just roll in and do comedy. So he has that going for him. So his natural ability to be affable and friendly and fun comes out. And there's a lot of laughs in the upside. But what really makes it work is when he feels the weight of the character and the responsibility and and the trouble that his character is in and how does he navigate his way out of it the upside is really it's kind of i call it it's it's a it's a love story between two straight men right neither one thinks that they have a future and it's the other person that has the key to unlock that thinking and it's that friendship that enables both of them to feel, ah, this is now I can go on and live my life and it and make it something, make it important. Yeah. You're also in The Disaster Artist. You play yeah. a uh, it's a little cameo version of yourself. And you've yeah. worked with James Franco a few times now. How does he strike you as a director? Well, he's good. I, I like him as a director because, you know, there's a sense like Richard Linklater um, he wants to cast it well and make sure that his actors understand the role. Make sure you you know the the avenue that I want this character to go down. And as long as you're both understanding that, then he lets you alone. Mm-hmm. He'll 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 trust that you get there. Um, so I worked in the Disaster Artist, um, which I I haven't seen yet. Which is oh really? Uh, yeah, I have not seen it yet. I've been out of town for every screening. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you see the room? I saw the room, okay. <laughs> which is phenomenal. <laughs> it is just a, a wonderful movie, in all for all the wrong reasons. Um, uh, yeah, and this is this is you know a story about the making of the room. Yeah, and. Um, it was it was a tremendous amount of fun. And of course, we we acted together uh, in the movie Why Him that mm-hmm. came out last last uh, Christmas, which was a blast to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, Isle of Dogs, I wanted to just briefly mention working with Wes Anderson on that. You've uh, frequently throughout your career, you've done voice work. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that work strike you? I guess is it, it seems like the kind of thing you could kind of shift down and and kind of. You'd think. You know, you'd think. Yeah, exactly. But that's why I wanted you to speak to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, an actor has to go through so many hoops. We're grateful to to be where we are. But when you're working on camera, you have to physically go to out of the country. You have to wear, do wardrobe calls and makeup calls and hair call. And you're up early and you're there all day. And, you're, and so there's a lot of uh, logistics to it. And that can uh, be trying because hours are long in many cases. Um, And then you have an offer to do um, a a film where it's just your voice and it'll take about, oh, about a collective 20 hours in (laughs) the booth. You're close to home. You don't you can roll out of bed. You don't have to shower. You don't have to shave. (laughs) 
you could be in your pajamas and you're there in front of the microphone. So the idea of it is very enticing to many actors, male and female. The issue is, is that when you get in front of the, the microphone, you realize, you know what, this this is a performance. This is not any different from any other performance. And then you start asking and reviewing uh, the script and with the director and, and talking about the character and where does the character go. So I find it very challenging to be able to convey a fully realized character using only your voice. Um, and so you'll find most actors, if you see videotape of actors doing voice work for a movie, you'll see them acting it out and really being <laughs> yeah. uh, present. And that's b- to make themselves feel good that they're contributing and and delivering a, f- a, a, a full performance. Yeah. Regarding the pajamas thing, I bet the sound guys would kind of prefer you show up in pajamas. <laughs> I heard this story from my sound editing instructor in film school about Rutger Hauer showing up to a looping session, all leather. Oh. <laughs> so that Rutger. picks up every little crinkle. He, he's moving. He has movement. <laughs> Rutger, can you take off your jacket, please? He's like, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. I have to talk about Breaking Bad because sure. it's, uh, you, I'm sure you're asked about it constantly, but it's my favorite show still in recent memory. I, I just, Great. It, it had me hooked. I was desperate for the next week's episode. Do you miss the energy of that show, being on that show, working on that show? I, I miss the brilliant writing I miss the camaraderie and love of the family that you make um, for six years. Six months out of the year for six years, we're with this group of people, cast and crew. And you go through life. You go through marriages and divorces and births and deaths. And high school and college graduations from when they started they were little kids mm-hmm. so you go through a lot and and i miss the storytelling but i must be honest that i don't really miss playing walter white in the show and the reason is the brilliance of vince gilligan and his writing staff um wrote such a complete and satisfying beginning middle and end to the story that the only way I can equate it is that if you had a, a beautiful meal, the appetizer and a drink and a salad and a main course and a dessert and a little espresso after, after dinner, drink, oh, it's just fantastic and you're done. And then someone brings you more food. It's like, oh, no, I, I, don't, I, I really I'm good. I can't possibly. I'm, and and I'm, I'm feeling really good. Uh, if I ate any more, I would not feel good. Right. Um, and I think that it, it would. It, I look at it like gluttony. It would be too much. Yeah. It ended so perfectly that it was like, oh, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. So instead of reopening that, and and you know, I've been asked many times, are you going to do any more Breaking Bad?s And I'm thinking. You know, he died. You remember he died. Right? It's like, <laughs> maybe they want you on Better Call Saul. You've, you've, you've mentioned before like how, how you envision something like the being just like a, a brief encounter and that's it. Something really honest and, and small. And yeah. yeah. What are the I, odds we would see something like that happen? I don't know. I, I think they could be pretty good. Yeah. 
But I don't know. As of this point, I re- I honestly don't know what they're thinking. I mean, I think it should be in the last year. Sure. Yeah. Right. It yeah. should be in the last year. And last episode, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But it's you know if Peter Gould, who is running the show with Vince Gilligan, is there's they're both so dedicated to and and protective of the show and the and the. Uh, you know, the authenticity of it and and they don't want to do anything that would make it cheesy and stupid and that's why i think that if walter white shows up on better call saul it would be more honest if it was just a passing just a brush by mm-hmm. something a little engagement and that would be Honest, because then t- two years later or whatever, how much later they wouldn't recognize they each, each other. other. Yeah. It was how many people do we pass by or leave the coffee counter or whatever, and we don't recognize them again. Yeah, exactly. Something, something like that. But I do know that if they called, I'd be there. Uh, note to Vince. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask was uh, just the evolution of TV. You've probably been asked this before. You, you've uh, I could just read off a list here that I made, actually. Chips, Airwolf, Hill Street Blues, Baywatch, Falcon Crest, Matlock, L.A. Law, Seinfeld, Walker, Texas Ranger, Chicago Hope, X-Files, Viper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that show Viper, which I actually loved when it was out. Uh, you, you've been in TV throughout your career. You've been... You had a first uh, front row seat for this evolution hmm. of TV to what it is now. And I just want to know your thoughts on that evolution. I think it's wonderful. Um, audiences now are far more sophisticated than they were in the late 70s when I started or in, all through the 80s. You know, the shows that a lot of the shows that you mentioned are shows that that would be laughed at right now. It's it, it had its time and purpose, but they were simplistic and and they weren't sophisticated. They weren't filled with nuance and idiosyncrasies of characters. They they wore more distinctively white hats or black hats. And um, that's just not believable. And audiences demand a higher quality of writing and performance and production values. And they're getting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outlets now, <clears throat> you know, as a producer now, I have, I have three shows with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And... I love those people over there because they want to have a high quality output of production, but yet they don't step on the creative process. They they tell you what is wrong in their notes or what they're confused about or what they'd like to see more of, and then they leave it up to you to deliver the goods, to mm-hmm. make the, to the actual creation work. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. And... You know, I'll continue to do um, television and film and theater. I'm going to do a play in London at the end of this month. Um, We've already started rehearsing, and it's going to be Patty Chayefsky's Network Mm. brought to a live theater at the National Theater in London. And uh, so that happens from November through the end of 
next year, March of 18. And you're playing? I play Howard Beale. All right. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And on television, I just finished doing Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you about that, because I just saw the trailer. Yeah. And you, you, you show up in the trailer. How was that? It's fantastic. I can't wait for that to come back. You know, I, I learned a lot about comedy from Larry David, mm-hmm. from Jerry Seinfeld. And, and Julia and, and Jason and being able to be on Seinfeld and watch how and they crafted a, a joke like it was that like they were architects. <laughs> I mean, truly yeah. it, it, refining the timing, the, the beat. You know, that's that sentence is not getting a laugh because there's one too many words in it. Take mm-hmm. this out. Now do it. Perfect. Good. It was just <laughs> it's really brilliant. And so. Uh, when Larry invited me to join the cast of you know this season uh, for an episode, I jumped. I, was, I, I don't care. I don't even. I didn't even ask what the character is. Just <laughs> I, I did, tell me when to show up, and I'll be on your show. I'm honored to be on the show, and it's very funny. And the and the production of it is a blast. You know, you have Jeff Garland, and and you know. Richard and everybody who's just so funny and you know it's it's, it's I can't wait to see it myself. Yeah, is is it is it a character or are you playing yes. yourself? Okay, it is a, it is a character. I'm not playing myself. Can't no. wait for that. Yeah. Well, again, this movie is Last Flag Flying. It is opening the New York Film Festival tonight, yes. and it uh, opens in theaters November seventeenth. The Disaster Artist is December first, and uh, the upside, I think. Uh, we're, wait, we're waiting to find out a date, well, the right? the Upside is going to have a qualifying period okay. at the end of this year, and then it'll open sometime in the first couple months of uh, of next year. There you go. We'll keep an eye out for that and Thanks. check out Curb Your Enthusiasm when it's on TV. I guess go to London if you want to go see Network. Please do. <laughs> I'll try to make it out there myself. Yeah. I'd love to see you as Howard Bill. Anyway, uh, his name's Brian Cranston. Thanks again for coming on the show, sir. Thanks, Chris. Ask the question, am I willing to surrender to God? What the hell happened to Mueller the Mauler? First class drinker, gambler. I see we have some visitors amongst us here today. We were in the service together with your pastor. I haven't seen these men in decades. They represent a dark period in my life. That went down awfully quick. Drinking for two now. You got old and boring. Shine down a light on me. Because of my son, I came here, found you guys. A year ago, we joined the Corps, and then two days ago, they told me that he'd been killed. He's going to be buried in Arlington, and I was wondering if you guys could come with me. I'll come to you and search your son. He sent him off to a godforsaken desert. Why? I'm taking Larry home. With all due respect, sir, he deserves to lie at Arlington. You're going to take Doc back and try to make it fun. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Did you look at these faces? They've already been spited. I thought we were going to a funeral. We are going to a funeral. It just looks like it's going to take a little longer to get there. What you going to do? Strap the coffin to the roof of your car? We could do that. Oh, man. Look the thing that made Larry different from the rest of us, he had a happy childhood. He said that? Yes, sir. If there's one minute that's not too terrible, I'd like to try to enjoy it. As holiness can hardly walk, let alone handle a big rig with a hydraulic lift. This is a rental with an automatic transmission. You guys ready for an adventure? Let's go. Found. You're in. I love it. It's like the official scent of the city. 
things that come into your head and out of your mouth. You worry too much. That's why your hair went so gray. Could you resist a man in this uniform? I don't think I could. Be there for your brothers. That's all that really matters. Get out of the way. Okay, you want to play? Let's play. Hey, move! You're trying to get me killed. I will bury your ass. Mueller has arrived. Woo!